That's for, that's for sure. That's loud. That's fine. Hey, uh, happy to be here with you. Um, I was telling the, the service team this morning, I, I got to do a COVID um, sermon for y'all whenever that was a thing, when we were all abiding by that. Um, and so it's been a while since I haven't seen your new space. And so it's really cool to be over here, uh, hear great things about you from Matt. Um, and so, yeah, just honored, honored to be here with you uh, to to see what the Lord has for us. And so uh, we've been all, you know, kind of movement-wide, have been walking through this sermon series uh, where we've asked you to be curious with us as we look at what uh, these different encounters that Jesus had with folks in all the Gospels. Uh, and, and as we've looked at those encounters, we've, we've questioned how does Jesus interact with uh, rich folks, how does he interact with poor folks, how does he interact with women, how does he interact with the religious elite, how does he interact uh, with those whom the world has forgotten, uh, and looked at those encounters and then asked ourselves, what does this mean for us? Uh, what are we to learn from this? Um, and ultimately, we have an agenda for you. That agenda would be that you would look and see as Jesus uh, interacted with folks, that he interacted with them uh, with kindness and compassion, uh, but also uh, letting them know that he was the only source of life. Uh, and so we would ask that uh, as we finish this series, you would consider putting your trust in Jesus if you've not done that, uh, or ask Jesus to take you deeper into that relationship. And so that's where we are this morning. Um, as we've looked at that sermon series, this is the last sermon in that series. Uh, it's a great one. It's a weird one. Um, but we're looking at uh, the road to Emmaus uh, in Luke chapter 24 uh, as a post-resurrection occurrence. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually on, on Easter Sunday, on the first Easter, uh, where Jesus encounters these men. And, and this curious encounter that Jesus has with these guys, uh, it's only mentioned in Luke's gospel um, none of the other gospel writers wrote about it, but it's a story about lost hope, really. It's a story about uh, misplaced affection, uh, and, and honestly and ultimately, it's a story of the kindness of a Jesus who doesn't kick us when we're down. Uh, it's a Jesus who doesn't break uh, bent reeds. Uh, he doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks. He's very kind and compassionate to us. So before we jump into that, um, Anna Kaufman, I was going to say my friend Anna, but I don't know her, uh, is going to come and read Scripture for us. She might be terrible, uh, but she's going to read uh, Scripture for us from Luke 24. Hey, thanks, Anna. I heard you're moving, so I don't have to be nice to you. I don't know how to respond to that. Okay, Good morning. <laughs> The scripture readings from Luke 24, 13 through 34. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered them, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, as we <clears throat> launch into your word, as we launch into uh, the very words of life, uh, as you tell us in your, in your scripture, uh, we know that there are uh, tons of things wanting us to not do this, uh, Lord, so we ask uh, that you would protect us from the evil one, uh, that you would draw our focus to you, draw our gaze uh, to you, to see you as the one who uh, truly is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. Uh, Lord, I ask that uh, even as I preach this morning, that you would forgive the sins of the messenger for their many, and that you would be uh, with us all, um, because you're good to us, and that we would leave here rejoicing, uh, because you've done such a great thing. And it's in your name we do pray. Amen. Uh, well, so as Anna had read uh, so wonderfully, we are uh, in this passage, in this kind of weird, bizarre story, uh, and there's really three things we're going to see uh, in this passage. Uh, we're going to see two wandering souls, we're going to see the wonder-filled stories, and then a wonderful Savior. So let's, uh, let's dive in, beginning with verse 13, uh, as we look at what Luke has for us. Uh, it's Easter morning, uh, Luke tells us here, uh, that very day, he's referring to uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, that these two men were traveling to a village named Emmaus. They were leaving Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was a buzz all week um, as it was Passover week because of the Passover celebrations. Uh, whenever Passover would take place, uh, Jerusalem would grow about four times in population for that week. And so as, these, uh, as the Jews made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem uh, for the sacrifices, uh, for the cleansing of the temple, for the Day of Atonement, uh, and then to honor the Passover feast, uh, Jerusalem uh, was crazy. Uh, and this one was especially crazy because this is the one where Jesus uh, showed up to Passover week uh, to proclaim his kingship. So on Palm Sunday, that's the beginning of that week, uh, he comes into town. He's greeted by a crowd, uh, celebrated. Uh, they sang, Hosanna, King of Kings, Hosanna, save us. Uh, a, a, a large crowd cheering out to Jesus, crying out to Jesus for uh, redemption. Uh, and then the next day, he flips over a bunch of tables in the temple. Uh, then we have the Passover feast. We have the washing of the feet of the disciples, the Passover feast. Uh, then Jesus in the garden. Then he's crucified, or he's arrested. He's put on trial. Uh, then he's crucified. And so it's been a crazy week in Jerusalem just with that. And then Jesus rises from the dead. And so Jerusalem is, is, is bonkers, except that the news hasn't really spread that fast yet, right? Um, and so these guys are walking back to Emmaus because they think it's done, um, that, 
that what they had put their hope in, the one they had put their hope in, was dead. And so they're, uh, they're wandering on this road back, seven-mile walk uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And we have Cleopas, who's mentioned. And then there's an unnamed disciple mentioned. Many, uh, many commentators believe it was his wife. Um, but what we see about these two is really that their dream is dead. Uh, as the stranger approaches Cleopas and says, hey, what are you guys doing? He says, haven't you heard? Haven't you heard what happened? Um, God's dead. Uh, Jesus is dead. Uh, so they're walking, and they're sad, and they're dejected, they're depressed, their heads are down. Uh, and then this stranger shows up and starts to ask them what's going on. Uh, we know, we have the benefit of being on this side of the story that we know that it's Jesus. But at the time, Cleopas and probably his wife didn't know that this was Jesus talking to them. So they're just sad, and they're depressed, and now some stranger is asking them questions. It's like being on an airplane with somebody that talks too much. Like they just want to get home. And here's uh, this stranger who shows up. He asks them what's going on. And you can hear the sadness in Cleopas as he responds, you must not have known what took place in Jerusalem. You must not be from around here. Because if you, if you were in Jerusalem, you would have known why we're sad. You would have known the things that happened. And then um, you would have known how... Uh, Cleopas would have hopped into this monologue, and then this stranger is playing coy with him uh, when he says, well, what things are you talking about? Uh, and then Cleopas launches into this testimony of who Jesus was, the Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was good in word, and indeed, he did all these wonderful works. He was born of a virgin. He healed folks. He sat with the outcasts and the downcasts. He spoke like no one else had ever spoken. No one else had said the things that this Jesus did and done, had done the things that this Jesus had done. We thought for sure, we thought for sure this was going to be the guy. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Noah. It wasn't King David. It wasn't Samson. It wasn't Deborah. We thought this was finally the one who was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And he's dead in the ground. And we don't know what to do. Can you feel the tension in the heart of Cleopas as he's telling this story? That As he recounts, the chief priests and the scribes turned him over to Rome and Rome killed him. That those in charge, the bad guys, win again. Those who have oppressed us, those who are tamping us down, they did it again, and they win again, and he's dead. And these last three years that we followed him around was just this colossal waste of time. He was supposed to raise from the dead, stranger man talking to us on the road, and he didn't. He's just another guy in a long line of losers who makes promises and doesn't follow through. Can you feel the sadness? Can you hear the sadness? Can you hear the despair that Cleopas has here? Jesus, you were supposed to be the one. And he's not. They've lost hope. Hope has seemed lost here, which would be a good time to ask ourselves, what do we do when, when, we, when we lose hope? When it feels like hope is lost, what goes on in your heart? What, what goes on in your head? Therapist Dan Allender says that hope is a memory of the future, that hope is the only thing that makes sense of the future. That it's only because we have hope 
that we can even keep trudging along because hope is so terribly defiant. Hope stands in the face of injustice and says, not on my watch. Hope stands in front of people and says, it's not the end. Death doesn't have the last word. It's hope that gets us out of bed. It's the resurrection hope of Jesus that everything sad is going to be untrue, that everything wrong is going to be made right. And these two disciples have lost hope, and they're just wandering aimlessly back to Emmaus. They're just on this, uh, was that office episode? You have to walk the long, lonely road of loneliness. Um, they're on the long, lonely road of loneliness back to Emmaus. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, everything they'd put, uh, their li- they'd stake their life on this. And it's gone. What's that road for you? What's that lonely road? You don't want to walk it. I don't want you to walk it. It sounds terrible. I can tell you what it is for me. It's a road right to the pantry, and there's a bag of chips in there, and I'm neck deep like a horse eating oats, y'all. I'm in it, and I go, and I take a nap, or I go, and I yell at my wife, or I go, and I ignore my kid. Whatever those things are for you, we know that we all are asked to walk this road because we've lost hope. We've lost hope. Jesus, you are supposed to come through for me. Jesus, you were supposed to redeem us. This is Cleopas. Jesus, you were supposed to make us great. We're tired of being under Roman rule. You were supposed to come and fix all this. Their loss of hope had made them question why, which is a great place to start. Why? Seriously, Jesus, why? Again? Jesus, I'm, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of dating apps. I'm tired of of the spouse. I'm tired of my kids complaining. I'm tired of schools getting shot up. I'm tired of pollen. I'm tired of this Nashville heat. Jesus, why is all this happening? Depressed, tired, bored, and disappointed. This is what Cleopas would have felt. This is what his wife would have felt. And then the stranger speaks up. Remember, they don't know it's Jesus yet. So imagine this is a stranger talking to you. Hey, foolish ones, Did you forget what the prophet said that Christ would suffer? Have you forgotten, dum-dums, that Jesus said this was going to happen? He said he was going to suffer. The redemption of Israel is not going to look the way that you think it looks. Cleopas and his wife, and, and it's not even their fault. Well, of course, they're culpable. But there was the thought that when Jesus returns to redeem Israel, he was going to make Israel a political power. That's what the Pharisees wanted. That's even what the Sadducees wanted. That's what all of Israel really wanted. But Jesus never promised to come do that. He never said that's what he was coming to do. He was coming after hearts. He wasn't coming after a throne. He already has that. And so the stranger is saying, don't you remember what Jesus, what the prophets said about Jesus, that he would die, that he would raise again from the dead, that he was going to suffer that's what the Israelites, that's what the Jews never got, uh, they could never really wrap their head around this, that Jesus would suffer. Because kings don't suffer. Mighty men don't suffer. Powerful men don't suffer. Even when Jesus said this to Peter, Peter's like, nope, that's not going to happen, Jesus. I know more than you. That's not, gonna, that's not who you are. You don't suffer. But this man comes and tells them, remember how Jesus said he was going to suffer. And Jesus, as he's talking to these men, they can't recognize him, right? This passage tells us that Jesus intentionally blinded them from recognizing who he was, which is terribly infuriating. But Jesus, they might have missed him aside from the fact that Jesus wouldn't let him see him. 
they may have missed Jesus because Jesus was so painfully ordinary. Think about this. Tim Keller says this. I didn't make this up. Think about this. Jesus has risen from the dead. This is, this is the greatest moment in human history, right? It's why you're here. It's why we exist. Everything in history hinges on this moment that Jesus would raise from the dead, and he's just talking to two strangers on a road. Like, he's not proclaiming it. He's not downtown Jerusalem, like, living it up at Aldine's. He's not, he's not going crazy. He's just walking with these two guys, and he's not even telling them who he is. This is why Jesus, he's so painfully ordinary. He uses ordinary means to accomplish his work. If you were, if you were writing this story, you wouldn't have put this in here. If you were writing this, you would have made a big deal out of this. And Jesus is just coming into the ordinary and the mundane because that's what Jesus redeems. He redeems the ordinary. He redeems the mundane. And these two wandering souls were about to turn their wandering into wondering. Did you like that? Please tell me you liked it. I worked really hard on that. That's good. Um, so they're, they're gone from wandering alone on this road to then wondering of who Jesus is and wonder of these wonderful stories, which is going to bring us to our second point. Uh, the stranger whom we know to be Jesus again here in verse 27, Luke says that he sat with them and beginning with Moses, he started a Bible study. He sat with them and said, I'm going to start with Moses, and I'm going to tell you everything about the Old Testament and how it all points to me. The best Bible study that anyone had ever gone to, stick it in your face, Passion Conference. This would have been so much better than anything that we could have put on, and it's just Jesus and these two guys, and he didn't care, right? He didn't care about the whole world getting this out. He was focused on these two guys, and he talked to them the whole time he talked, and he started with Genesis, and he went all the way through the Old Testament. Imagine this, Jesus opening up the Scriptures to them and says, Hey, guys, you know, in Genesis 3.15, when this curse was called down on Satan after he had tempted Eve in the garden, and Adam and Eve fell. And all the sin that you're even feeling in this moment has washed over you and has separated us and has put me apart from you. And I promised, my dad promised to the serpent, that there was going to come someone who would crush his head. That's Jesus that he's talking about. And then he moves on to the story of Noah and the ark. Imagine this. This would be so wonderful uh, that when the waters of judgment come for the world and their sin, that Jesus is the ark that you hide in to escape the waters of judgment. When you get to Passover and you hear about this lamb who was slain and the, and the blood is put on the doorposts and the angel of death passes over you and you're saved and you have a way out of slavery in Egypt and a way out of slavery to sin, it's Jesus that he's talking about. If you want to know Jesus this morning, he gives us that in his word. This is the whole point of the sermon, Right? that all the scriptures point to Jesus. He gives us a book. He gives us an app, if you don't like paper, um, a book that on every page drips the story of a God who is so head over heels in love with his creation that he moved heaven and earth to get to them. He moved them as a ransom for his bride. Stories of failure, stories of bravery, stories of tragedy and triumph, story of the only man to ever live who had pornless eyes story of the only man who ever lived who looked at the poor and didn't try to break their backs. The stories of the only man who ever lived who looked at the disciples and said, Peter, it doesn't matter what you did. 
Come and follow me. Come and be with me. That is who this is. And so as he's opening his word, he's, he, he's reminding them that angels long to look into this, that the heavenly beings are so fascinated with this story of redemption that they wish it could be for them, and it's for you. It's for these two weary travelers. And yes, it's boring sometimes, but so are you. And yes, the word is weird sometimes, but so are you. And yes, it was written by God who, who knitted it together with 40 authors over thousands of years. And it has seamless uh, stories from men who never really met each other and a seamless end. And it was put together and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But God said, this is my word. And it's your very life. And he gave it to us, meticulously planned out, meticulously designed, just like you. That he put this word for us, that when Moses, the prophet, was uh, not able to enter into the promised land uh, because of the sin that he had committed, he stood at the edge of, of, of uh, Canaan and he told the Israelites, he didn't remind them of all the great things he did. He didn't remind them of how he split the Red Sea. He didn't remind them of getting water from the rock. What he reminded them of is the scriptures that were given to him. And he said, hold on to these, for these words are your very life. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you've lost hope from me. You don't have to go to a therapist. You don't have to go to a friend. You can return to my word and see and find me there. And then go to therapy. And then go to friends. But come and spend time with me. Jesus opens the word. These guys still don't know it's him, right? It's still a stranger. Uh, these wandering souls told this wonder-filled stories, but they're about to meet Jesus. Uh, they're about to meet the wonderful Savior, which is going to bring us to our last point here this morning. If we look in verse uh, 28 and to the end of the passage, uh, Jesus still hasn't revealed himself, and now he's kind of fishing for an invite into their house, like he's walked the seven miles with them, um, and the, the sun's about to go down. And Luke tells us that Jesus intended to go further, but he waited for them to invite him into their house, which would be super awkward. It's like, hey, stranger, I guess you can come in. And so Jesus goes into their house after they've had this great Bible study, all this, the wonder of all this wisdom uh, that had been given to them. So he invites them in, and as they're eating the bread, as they're eating uh, dinner, uh, Jesus prays, and then he breaks the bread, and then he disappears, which is also infuriating, Jesus. Just make me mad all kinds of times in this passage. He finally, they finally open their eyes and see that it's Jesus right in front of them, and as soon as they do, he takes off. He takes off. He's gone. And so these men had, or rather Cleopas and his wife, um, had seen that in Jesus, one thing was true. And it's what's true this morning, uh, is that their hope is not dead after all. Now, there's only two places where hope is dead. One's in hell, where hope is abandoned completely. The other is in heaven, where hope is fully realized. So these men realize as long as we're on earth, as long as there's breath in our lungs, then there's hope. Then there's hope. And, and listen to their response here as, as Cleopas and probably his wife are talking to one another. We had a, didn't we have a burning in our bones when this man was speaking to us? Did not this man tell everything about us? We had a burning in our bones. He told us everything. Who does this sound like? 
There's a woman at a well that Jesus encountered who ran to her town and said, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And he didn't run away from me. For Cleopas and probably his wife, their hope had been restored. Their desire had been restored. Their longings had been restored. And immediately it tells us in the scriptures that Luke said, they went back to Jerusalem at night in the dark when it's dangerous. They ran seven miles back to town because they couldn't keep this story in. Y'all, listen, Jesus has risen from the dead. We saw him. He walked with us. He punked us. He hoodwinked us, but we saw him. He told us all these Bible stories, and he ate bread with us, and we saw him, and he's risen from the dead. And Jesus rising from the dead for us this morning means that our suffering has a bottom. It means that our suffering isn't eternal. It means that our hope can be restored, that death doesn't have the last word, that the resurrection of Jesus means that he is not dead and neither are his plans for you. He's not dead and neither are his plans for you. His resurrection means that one day you too will rise in glory. His resurrection means that anybody you've loved that's died, that believed in Jesus will rise in glory. It's a promise for us. And I get it. Like you're a bunch of young professionals. You don't think about death. You think about sex all the time. You don't think about death. But here is Jesus saying, death is coming. It's imminent, and it's on its way, and it's on your doorstep. And it can come at any moment. And Jesus is saying, put your hope in the one who can defeat death. To prove that Jesus has the ultimate power and that the sadness that drips in every heart in this town, it can have an end. Even for us, even now when life really seems like it's all weddings and no funerals, Jesus is saying, put your hope in me. Put your hope in me. I'm the one. I'm the one that scripture is about. I'm the one who um, crushed the head of Satan. I'm the one who told David to chop the head off of Goliath. And when he did, on behalf of the nation of Israel, and David arose to the, to the seat of the king, and Israel got all the credit for it. That's what Jesus does for us. That's why Jesus is a true and better David, because he defeated the giant on our behalf, and then he gives us the credit for it. And when he defeated sin, and uh, he gives us his righteousness by taking our sin on himself, he says, that's why I'm better than David. You want to know why I'm better than Adam? Because when I spent 40 days fighting Satan in the desert, I didn't give in to him. I redeemed what Adam had done in the garden. I stood up for my bride when Satan was coming after her. I wasn't quiet. That my kingdom has come, uh, my kingdom is coming to advance, that mercy and love and kindness can now rule. That I'm the Jesus who throws parties for prodigals. I'm the Jesus who says repentance is a party thrown in your honor, that you can come to me and I won't cast you out. You can come to me when your shame is saying, don't do this, and I will throw a party for you and say, come in. This is the Jesus that Scripture tells us about. This is the Jesus that we're going to come and remember here at his table. This is the Jesus who, by some mysterious way, is even present with us uh, as we come to his communion table. And it's the Jesus who told these two sinners uh, that hope wasn't dead. And these two guys, or girl, we don't know. I can't say it with confidence. 
But these two went back to Jerusalem and said, come and meet this man. Go and tell the lost and the lonely, the powerful and the popular. Go and tell the jocks and the nerds. There's someone who comes for them. That redemption is available if you receive and rest in Jesus alone. That we can tell the world that we're going to need a bigger room. If you go and tell Nashville this story, you can't fit everybody in here. We're going to have to go to that weird dragon playground outside. You can't fit everybody in this room if you go and tell everyone, hey, there's an answer to your loneliness, there's an answer to your lostness, and it's only in Jesus. That the striving is over. So as we close out this sermon series, remember, remember that Jesus is calling you. Whether you've known him for 10 years or you've known him for 10 minutes, uh, Jesus is saying, come to me. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are good. Uh, Jesus, you're great. Um, as my friend George says, you're too good not to be true. Uh, but Lord, I have a feeling because it's the feeling that's in my head that it is a little too good to be true. Do you really welcome sinners? Did you really die for us? Did you really live for us? Do you really count your righteousness to our account, um, that you really take our sins on you. Jesus, this morning, let us know that's true. As we sit and do business with you in our seats before we come to your table, let us know it's true uh, that you welcome sinners. You crush the proud, uh, but you lift up those who are broken. Uh, and we're broken, Jesus. And so would you come to us? Uh, would you meet us? Would you serve us? Uh, in your name, would you pray? Amen. We're going to come to the table uh, this this morning. Um, y'all do a little weird over here. They got these kneelers. Uh, but we have some folks who are going to uh, come and serve you, um, and I'll be down here as well. Um, and so as, before we come to this table, uh, Paul tells us in his word that uh, we don't do this flippantly. He tells us to examine ourselves. Uh, we call this fencing the table, but we're not building a fence uh, so high that you can't get to it. Uh, we're building a fence because we believe that what happens here is powerful. Um, and so Paul says uh, to examine yourself, to not take it in an unworthy manner. And if you want to know what that means, what he means by that is uh, if you think you deserve this, then don't come. Uh, if you think Jesus is lucky to have you at his table, then don't come. Because this is a table for those who have looked to Jesus and found that they are sinners and found uh, that he is the only hope for their redemption. Uh, that there's not, a, not an ounce of doing uh, that can get them closer to Jesus, uh, only resting on what he's done. That's who this table's for. Uh, it's a table for believers. Uh, so if you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, we ask that uh, you would stay in your seat uh, and do business with the Lord. Uh, come and find me. Come find Jess. Come find Nick. Uh, come find someone to pray with you to say, I want to know what this means. I want to live a life in submission to Jesus. Uh, so if you haven't done that, we would ask that you would stay in your seat uh, and let these elements pass you by. Um, but for the rest of us, those who have looked uh, to Jesus uh, for salvation, those who are receiving and resting on him alone, uh, as the our membership vow said, uh, this table is for you. Uh, and so the band is going to play a few songs over us. Uh, you can come up to these kneelers at any moment during that time. Um, when you're ready to receive the elements, just stick your hands out like this. 
Uh, if you need prayer, just cross your arms uh, and someone will come and pray for you. Uh, but you can come to the kneelers, take as long as you need to take, <laughs> within reason. I got, I got stuff to do. Uh, but take as long as you need to take uh, to really sit with Jesus and to really, um, to really ask him to draw you closer, um, to draw you to himself. Um, and so I will pray, and then we will uh, start distributing these elements. Let's pray again. Uh, Jesus, as we approach uh, this most solemn and sacred and mighty and holy and even kind of weird um, moment with you, uh, where your, uh, your St. John Calvin told us that as we partake in communion, uh, it's as if we peek our head into heaven, um, that for just a moment we have this mystic, sweet communion with you, something that angels long to look into that those heavenly beings who fly around your throne singing holy, holy, holy all the time wish that this was for them, but you've made it for us. So Jesus, let us feel the gravity of that. Let us feel the weight of that this morning. Um, and then let us feel and see and hear your wonderful voice calling us to yourself. And it's in your name we do pray. Amen.